The gospel lesson for this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, the first 13 verses. So listen now for what the Spirit is saying to the church. The kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of the bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open it to us. But truly, he replied, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit our souls inspire. Enlighten us with your celestial fire, for if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Amen. The kingdom of heaven will be like this. According to today's passage, the kingdom of heaven will be like a wedding banquet. The kingdom of heaven is a celebration. The kingdom of heaven is one party you do not want to miss. So did you get your invitation in invisible ink? And are you ready? Much anticipated moments like this are full of excitement and expectation. I was thinking back to when Waite and I got engaged and within 24 hours of getting engaged, there was this assumption that our wedding planning must have been long in the making already because there were no shortage of voices who wanted us to know, who wanted to, to tell us exactly how to plan and who wanted to know every detail of the wedding that we had not yet planned. For the most part, wedding planning was not about readying our minds and hearts for a life of, mar of marriage together. These were voices that were concerned about the party. Where will it be? What are the colors? Do you have a theme? To which I replied, the theme is wedding. The assumption was that if we were to do everything on their checklists and everything on Emily Post's checklist, buy the perfect dress, choose the right centerpieces, prepare the perfectly embossed invitation, then we would be completely ready when the day arrived. 
The wise bridesmaids certainly were. They were the ones who packed the emergency kit with the bobby pins and the hairspray and the breath mints and safety pins and Kleenex and the extra oil so that you had everything you could possibly need. And this concept of readiness is not just about planning a wedding, right? We spend much of our lives preparing for things. Do you have the right school supplies and the backpack that has that extra pocket for the water bottle on your first day of school? Have you planned the route to work on your first day of a new job that will avoid traffic so you're definitely not going to be late? Did you remember your mitt for the baseball game? Have you talked through a birth plan with your doctor in preparation for the arrival of your child? Do you have plans as your health declines? Are your financial affairs in order? Did you pre-order the turkey and begin thawing it three days before Thanksgiving so that it's ready to go in the oven on time, just like the Butterball hotline suggests? In every aspect of our lives, there are these elements of preparation that lead us to believe that if we have just done the right things, then we will be ready for the joy that awaits us. And I imagine that most of us see ourselves as the wise and prepared when we hear this story. The folks who have an almost Puritan-like work ethic and pride ourselves on being ready. We fancy ourselves as the ones who of course would have brought the extra flask of oil. And so maybe when you hear this parable, it's fairly comforting. We might even believe that we deserve the reward of being welcomed into the kingdom of heaven because we earned it. But any of you who have been in a wedding know that there is a plan for how everything is supposed to happen, and then there's what actually happens. And amidst all the advice that I received when we were preparing to get married, there was always some nagging voice in the background that says, you know there's always something that goes wrong, as if that was supposed to be comforting in some way. But it's true, right? The groom could get sick, the limo could get lost, the ring bearer could get confused and run the wrong way down the aisle. That happened at our wedding. The best man could forget the rings. The bridesmaids could lock their knees and pass out in the middle of the service. A fight could break out among the in-laws at the rehearsal. Even with every detail marked off a carefully prepared checklist, the best laid plans always leave an element of surprise. The kingdom of heaven will be like this. The story that unfolds right after that doesn't sound like a well-prepared wedding banquet that we might all be expecting. The groom is late. Everyone falls asleep. Half the bridesmaids leave at the critical moment in search of oil, and the door opens and shuts again, leaving some people out. There's very little about this parable that sounds like a joyful feast or celebration. The parable suggests on its surface that the wise bridesmaid is who we all want to be. But we read this parable knowing full well that try as we might, that part of the foolish bridesmaid feels just a little bit too familiar. And if you stand in the place of the fool in this parable, it raises a lot more questions for me than it answers. 
What if the fools couldn't afford the extra oil? And what oil shop is going to be open at midnight anyway? Why is it the bridesmaids' fault that they're excluded? It's the groom who was late. And how do those wise bridesmaids know that there wasn't enough oil to go around? Since when is sharing not a good thing? Was it worth it for the wise ones to go through the door of the wedding banquet and leave their friends behind? And what if it was just a really lame wedding? But most of all, it causes me to ask, where is a loving and gracious God in all of this? The one who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If Jesus is the preacher of this parable, then I find myself asking, Lord, fool that I am, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? While Jesus is concerned in all four Gospels about the unfolding of the kingdom of God, Matthew is especially famous for parables that seem to be about who's in and who's out. The wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, the wise and the foolish bridesmaids. For Matthew, you see, parables often remind us that there is a decision at stake, and our readiness for the kingdom of heaven matters. Matthew was writing to and speaking to a community of Jewish Christians who had made the difficult choice to leave the synagogue and their community of birth to follow Christ. And so on the one hand, Matthew's trying to offer some kind of comfort, joy, even reward for that difficult choice. But there's also a deep discomfort in the idea that some who we love might find themselves on the other side of that door. Even if we are bold enough to believe that we are the wise, we should have a healthy discomfort with this text. Because who wants to go to the ultimate heavenly banquet without your fellow bridesmaids and friends? Thankfully, the blessing of parables is that the obvious meaning the one that rests on the surface, is often not the point at all. Jesus had a lot of fun teaching in parables for just that reason. Nadia Boltz Weber, who's a Lutheran pastor of a creative and quirky church of misfits in Colorado, wrote this about parables. She said, this morning, my breakfast cereal box did not contain a parable decoder ring. I didn't get one. No one did, not me, not my kids, not you, and not the crowds 2,000 years ago. That's because there's no better way to suck the life out of a parable than to explain it and decode it and finalize its meaning. That's not how parables work, she writes. They aren't to be studied and interpreted so much as they are to be experienced. We don't so much figure them out as they figure us out. So what if we enter the story again? The kingdom of heaven will be like this. A crowd sits waiting for the bridegroom. They arrive on time. They've gathered together, lamps in tow, dressed in their finest, ready to meet the groom and his bride on the road so that this week-long party, as it would have happened in the first century, can begin. Something has clearly happened 
because the groom is late. And so they wait. And they all get drowsy and fall asleep. And awakened, they all trim their lamps. One group has oil but fears it's not enough and refuses to share. One group has none and leaves to find this precious resource, which is an impossible task in the middle of the night. While they're gone, the groom arrives, the doors open and shut again in an instant, and the opportunity to join the party is over. But having arrived at the banquet, the wise bridesmaid's first reaction is, I won, I did everything right. And they take credit for their successful entry. But standing on the other side of the door, they can hear their friends call out, Lord, let me in. Please, can't I come to the party? And dismay comes over them all. The ones without oil are dismayed by their exclusion, but the wise ones are left saying, we don't want to be at this party if our friends aren't here. Perhaps we're not so wise after all. Regardless of what side of the door the bridesmaids are standing on, the question seems to be, who's fooling who? And if you're feeling squeamish about this parable right now, you're not alone. Because this image of the kingdom of God doesn't square with Jesus' teaching throughout the whole rest of Matthew's gospel. Jesus, the preacher of the Beatitudes, is the host of this party. He's the one who declared, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's the one who proclaimed, if anyone wants to take your coat, give them your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go the second. And Jesus is the one for whom they had all prepared. We think the moral lesson of this parable hinges on the door and which side of it you're on. But what if the key to this parable isn't about the door at all? There is an old story about a man who had three sons. And he told his sons that he was aging and he needed to decide who would be responsible for his inheritance. And so he gathered the three of them together and he gave them a test. He gave them each $10 and he said, go to the market and purchase something that is large enough to fill as much of this room as you can. And whichever of you is able to fill the room fullest is worthy to inherit all of my land and possessions. And so each of the three sons went out to make their purchase. The first son came home and he was lugging this big piece of cloth and he rolled it out across the room and it covered the whole floor. But it didn't fill the room. The second son came back carrying tons of bales of hay, and he filled the room with the hay, and he kind of fluffed it up to try and fill it even more, right? And it filled more of the room, but it did not fill the room. The third son walked in with his hands empty, and he looked at his father. He said, is there any way I could get just a, a little bit of extra time? I'm a third son, after all. Could you give me until nightfall? 
And his father was frustrated, but he looked at his youngest son and he said, sure. So they returned together to the room when it was dark, and the third son reached into his pockets. And out of one pocket, he pulled a candle, and out of the other, he pulled a match. And he lit the candle, and the room was full, floor to ceiling with light. And the father said to the youngest, you are the wisest son. You will inherit all that I have to offer. The third son knew what the bridesmaids didn't seem to understand. Oil may be a commodity, but light is not. Light defies the laws of limited resources and zero-sum games. Light, from the sun in the sky or the sun who is the bridegroom coming to meet us, light is in God's control, not ours. And light can be shared. The bridesmaids assumed that being prepared was based on whether or not they had enough oil. But they failed to see that their readiness for the bridegroom, their entrance into the kingdom of heaven, really depended upon seeing the light that shines in the darkness, the true light, the one that came to be shared with them all. So Jesus' parable asks us, are you ready? Are you ready to walk in the light of Christ? Are you ready to hold up a lamp that helps others see Christ's light is coming too? Are you ready to share the light with others? The light for which we are waiting, the light for which we await Advent and Christmas enables us to see the needs of the bridesmaid next to us so that we do not have to send them away. Light fills the room and the night and the places of deep darkness and ultimately bursts out of the closed door of a grave because light is in God's control. To be wise and to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, all that is needed is to realize that the light for which we wait is a light that comes to us and that can and must be shared. In the name of the light that shines in the darkness, Jesus the Christ. Amen.